Okay, so this is the last word today, uh, really, uh, from 2 Timothy. And uh, <clears throat> it's the last portion of Scripture. It's a, it's a large portion. Uh, we will cover, but we'll get through it quite readily because a lot of it is just pretty much info. And we'll talk a little bit about, about that. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 9 through the end of the chapter. And then we'll... Uh, We'll take off. As you wrap up your the letter, <clears throat> I don't know how you would close it, but here's here's what Paul here's what Paul does. He said, "Do your best to come to me quickly." This is to Timothy, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me, and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left in Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eusublius, or I'm, I'm sorry, Ublius greets you, and so do Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. <clears throat> the sermon title is called Come Before Winter. <clears throat> it's probably appropriate for Wilkes-Barre in the beginning of November to be reminded that uh, we are in a four-season wonderland. There's just before winter, there's winter, there's after winter, and then there's pothole season. So those are the four seasons in Wilkes-Barre. I don't know if that's true or not, but someone... I heard uh, recently told me about that as it relates to Erie, Pennsylvania, where I grew up. So this is the season we find ourselves in coming up to winter. These, when these days start to settle in and they get this dreary, grayish kind of stuff and the temperatures start to get a little bit cooler, anything can happen. Uh, when I sent the outline to Frank earlier in the week, I jokingly said, hopefully the sermon title won't have anything to do with the weather for the week. 
And then I found out that there was a possibility we were going to get snow flurries on Friday. And I thought, wow, crazy, crazy stuff. So here we are, come before winter. That's obviously taken from the end of this fourth chapter. These are his last words to Timothy and to the church. And they give us pause to think about many issues related to how we need to live and how we relate to others around us. <clears throat> We're going to look at a cluster of what I guess I'm calling life truths today and how they apply to us. So life truth number one, people are a tool that God uses to shape us. People are a tool that God uses to shape us. And we read those verses 9 through 16. And in those verses, there are a number of names of people that you don't know much about. And I don't know much about. And even if we had Ancestry.com, we probably still couldn't find a lot about some of them along the way. But it seems like there seem to be two camps or two categories in terms of the impact of people upon Paul's life and impact of people on our lives. There are over 17 people named in this last part of the fourth chapter. And so here are the two camps. As we talk about how God uses people as a tool to shape us, there are two realities. The first is this, inevitably, people will disappoint us. They'll disappoint us. So don't be surprised. And last week when we were talking about, uh, I used an illustration of a father and son that were going to take a, a long hike. And they, they prepared themselves in every way, all the supplies, all that kind of thing. But they prepared themselves mentally as well. So that they weren't surprised when weather changed. They weren't surprised when crazy people came at them. They were, there was no surprise because they made the preparation. Understand that the people that God puts in our life will shape us. They will, they will make us into something. And, and we have to be careful that we don't allow them to control our world, but we understand the inevitability of impact and influence. And here's a couple people that are referenced. I, don't remember. I guess we got them up here. Demas was one, verse 10. He has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Alexander opposed me, did harm to me, verse 14. Everyone, that's generic enough in the 17 plus names, everyone deserted me, Paul says. <clears throat> Inevitably, whenever you deal with people, there is going to be some level of disappointment. It doesn't make a bit of difference whether it's a pastor in a church or a parishioner in a church. There will be disappointments. There are people who refuse to go back to a church because they were disappointed by the pastor or by one of the elders or leaders in the church or the pastor's wife or whoever. Give me a grocery list. If you're a pastor in ministry, inevitably people are going to disappoint you. It's the reality doesn't mean we should always live and just be dependent upon that kind of thing. But understand that, that God allows people into our lives to shape us. 
and, and, and the fact that someone would desert us or someone would oppose us uh, might cause us to be kind of disconcerted and figure out, oh, what's the use of working with these knuckleheads? I'm done with it. And you can probably develop that mentality. But the point is that understand that this is the reality. People will disappoint you. So don't be surprised. I mean, I can go, I can, I can think back, look back in terms of length of years of ministry and people who uh, God can bring to my mind. And I, I, th I think about that. I, I was doing that the other day. I was musing back to uh, the church in New Cumberland and began to think about all the people that God allowed to bring along our way. That New Cumberland congregation was very, it was a very mobile congregation. We had people that constantly were moving in and moving out. Army Depot, Navy Depot, down our way, capital uh, presence, uh, you know, that kind of thing. People were in, people were out. And I always commented, I said, they really didn't need to change pastors very often because after five or ten years, the whole congregation had almost changed, except for a few pillars along the way that seemed to be from the community and stuck there. Uh, stayed with us in the process. So there was this turnover that was always going on. So you always had a new people that you were trying to deal with. Not every church goes through that kind of thing. But inevitably, when you think about some of the people, you'll find some people who stick in your mind because they betrayed you or they disappointed you in some way from a pastoral perspective. And and you can let that, you can let that sit in your craw and you can let that taint your approach toward ministry or your approach to people, but understand that that's a part of the reality and God used even those hard spots to shape me as a pastor, to shape any person as a pastor, to keep his focus in terms of ministry. God uses people as a tool to shape us. So inevitably they will disappoint you. However, the other group, the other side is equally positive sometimes they will encourage you. Now, notice the wording. I said, inevitably they'll disappoint. Sometimes they'll encourage you. Not all the time, but sometimes they'll encourage us. And for that, we need to be thankful. Stop and think about the people in your, uh, let me use a Greek word, in your oikos. Now that simply means household, your network, your circle of influence. Stop and think about those people. They may be family, they may be friends, they may be co-workers. All those people God has allowed to be in your circle, in your oikos, in your little world. And he allows those people to come in, and those people are going to disappoint us, so don't be surprised, but they're also going to encourage us and be thankful for that. So stop and think about your world, your circle for a moment, and all the people that God has allowed into your life. For those people that have come into your life that have been encouraging, how have you responded to them? Have you taken that for granted and said, yeah, that's pretty cool, I like that? Or have you affirmed them in process in terms of being thankful? We, we've, lost, we've lost some level of gratitude in our world. We take things for granted. You get something from somebody and you just, you just go right on. Sometimes we don't stop to say thank you. So I, I want to I campaign for a minute to make sure that you are people who are thankful and you let somebody know what they did. And it, it doesn't have to be 
yeah, I, here, I want to give you this lump of money to just say thing. It can be something as simpler, simple as a note or a word just to, just to touch base with those folks who are encouragers. And in the grocery list here, in verses 9 through 16, you have names like Crescens, Titus, who is the author of one of the books in the New Testament. You have Tychicus, and I don't know who named these people. You know, uh, how you doing today, Tick? You know, I mean, I just, you know, it's, that sounds like a bug, you know. Uh, Luke, the beloved physician who wrote the gospel, uh, he was with Paul, and he was there. Only Luke is with me. Mark, John Mark, in the book of Acts, is the cousin of Barnabas who goes and, and heads off with him, but, but deserts him along the way and, and, and deserts the, the work of Christ and yet still has opportunity because Barnabas goes to bat for him and, and, and you know, brings him around, gives him a second chance. And interestingly, in this last book, Paul finally comes up. Paul was really ticked, not a Tychicus, ticked at Mark for leaving. And he just, he was done with him. But it's interesting here in this last book, he makes the comment. He said, when you come, get Mark because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Verse 11, he's helpful to me. He had a kind of full circle come around for John Mark. He was helpful. Timothy, obviously an encouragement to Paul. He you know, writes the letter to him. And, and, when he and when he writes to him in verse 13, he says, When you come, bring the cloak that I left in uh, Carpus, with, Car with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Do you, do you have a favorite garment that you have? Like, like, do you have a leather jacket, you know, that you really like as warm as your... Harley Davidson signia on the back, or whatever you know, or some 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 gar garment that you, you really like. And if you've ever misplaced it, you feel, where did I put that thing? Where where is it? You know, it's like it's like you really like that. There are some. Uh, last year for for Christmas, uh, one of our daughters got me this really nice blanket. It's like a throw blanket, you know. You, it's, it's real shy, it's smooth on one side, but it is oh so soft underneath. And you just crawl underneath that sucker, and you can just wait until the winter is over. You know, it's one of those kind of deals. You know, oh, and if you misplace that, you, where did I use that to keep me warm? Where, where did it put? And you can begin to think about those kinds of things, whatever, whatever it is for your situation. Bring the cloak, but also bring the scrolls and the parchments. Now, this was obviously before we had a laptop to work with or a smartphone to work with that we could read all our stuff on. You know, Paul was very fortunate to have some written documents that were of encouragement to him. And, and I don't, we don't know what they are. We, we assume that they're probably perhaps portions of scripture. We, it's so early on, at least maybe it may be writings that were pertinent to just who God who is and who Christ is. Maybe it's these Old Testament scrolls and parchments that were probably a part, part of the process, but they were things that he uh, really wanted and missed. 
I don't know. Um, I, I'm glad to see this was a part of Paul's journey, that he took the time to read and missed it when he didn't have it. We don't read much anymore. We, we watch stuff. We watch it in snippets on uh, whatever social media or Internet or whatever we find that we can use. Television as an option as well. But all of that, we, we're watching. We don't, you know, do you sit down with good material to give thought to? When, when I came to this portion of Scripture in this message title, it stuck in my mind. There's a book that's written with that title, Come Before Winter. And I thought, I've seen that somewhere. And I dug around and dug around and found it. It was a book written by Charles Swindoll. So like a devotional book. And it didn't have, didn't have a whole lot of help for me here in terms of who all these people were and all that kind of stuff to just add into the message. But, but, it, but it was, a, it was a, I'm glad I found the book because it's, it's like a, a devotional book. I thought, oh, I haven't, I haven't read this. I had it but I hadn't really meditated on it very much. So I got that out now, and now I just can use that as material, like the scrolls and like the parchments. They're just food for thought to nourish the soul. People are a tool that God uses to shape us. Life truth number one. Life truth number two. The Lord is always with us. I think we picked up on some of that. After all... After all, he's always with us. Uh, he is always with us. And verses 17 and 18 kind of bring that. But the Lord stood. Even when everybody else bailed, Paul says, The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever. Four words I want to share that come from these verses, 17 and 18. The Lord is always with us first to strengthen us. The Lord is always with us to strengthen it. The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. Paul is facing uh, the prospect of the end of his life. He has been accused of stuff that he appealed for justice and appealed to Caesar. And so the court case, if you will, goes to Rome. And he doesn't know how it's going to turn out. It may be that he knows that his end is near. We've already encountered that. But he's strengthened even in the midst of that hard spot. Sometimes when we when hard spots come or tough experiences come, we say, God, why did you let this happen to me? How why, why is it? If it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Sometimes we get negative on that kind of thing, you know? But remember that even in the midst of those hard spots, God still always is with us and always promises to strengthen us. It may be that you might not experience that strengthening until you experience the hard spot where you know you really have to trust him. You need to bore down into him. Always is with us to strengthen us. He's always with us to deliver us. And it doesn't mean he's going to deliver us from the situation, but he will see us through the situation and provide deliverance in terms of his ultimate rescue and uh, 
provisions for us in so many ways. He delivers us. He rescues us. So that's a part of the language there. I was delivered from the lion's mouth. And we don't know if that was just, you know, Paul talking about the prospect of being thrown into the lion's den. You know, we knew that Rome was famous for that or notorious for that. We don't know if that was part of it, but, but that was a possibility. You know, Daniel's in the book, you know, and, and he's, he's able to be rescued. And then this last piece that I really like was he was able to bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. God is all about bringing his children home. And and I know that we sang today, even so come, Lord Jesus, come. And we know that when he comes, then there's a whole lot of stuff we get to just kind of lay down and forget about. All the heartache, all the heartbreak, all the COVID crap that we're up to here with. You just let it all bad down. Just let it all aside. And uh, he's in the business of bringing us home. Um, I, I like that. Bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. I'm, I'm sure he's talking about heaven. I'm sure he's talking about the reality of Christ being able to be with him even in the midst of things here, he is always with us. Life truth number two. Life truth, life truth number three is that winter is coming. Verse 21. Do your best to get here before winter. Why? You know, you kind of think, what, what's the deal? Why, why would he worry or why would he even take the time to include this in a letter to Timothy that the timing was so important? Why, do you, why is it so important to come before winter? And it occurs to me that he brings up an issue of things that he needs to take advantage of as God has provided the opportunities for him currently. I, I would call this the opportunities of the now. God gives us opportunities now. Winter's coming, we know, so we need to take care of things now. Now, we know, you know, uh, I've, been, I've been waiting to get siding put on my house, uh, replacing aluminum siding that suffered hail damage, and now we're going to replace it with wild siding. Signed a contract on that back in September, front part of September, still no siding. I called the contractor the other day, and I said, hey, do you have any further word? I said, if I'd known it was going to take this long, I would just held on to my deposit money and waited till the spring. We'll just kind of deal with it. Then. He said, well, he said, I just got done talking with the warehouse, and they have all your signing is in, and all the parts are needed. And I said, I should get you on the schedule this week. I thought, well, great. Glad to hear that. I haven't heard whether I'm going to be on the schedule for sure, but I'm hoping because Winter's coming. And if I can get rid of that aluminum siding that has a negative coefficient in terms of heating ability and, and get this, this, this insulation on behind what probably is nothing behind the aluminum siding because of when it was built, and, and it wasn't a big issue then. So I would get all that. It might be that I can get through winter a little bit warmer. I might not have to turn the thermostat up quite so high in some of the rooms because I've got a better product around me. Winter's coming. So I knew that. 
Okay, so so if you came to my house uh, a couple months ago, uh, I was busy painting the foundation, the same gray that the house was going to be sided in. in my, so all the trim work is done. I painted the white trim. It's all ready to go. All I'm waiting for is this new vinyl siding. Why? Because winter's coming. You got to do what you need to do now. The opportunities of the now. In the book of James, next door neighbor uh, here, not too far away, and the fourth chapter, uh, if I find there quick enough, Hebrews and James, and the fourth chapter in verses 13 and 14, just a reminder to us. He says this, now listen, now listen. When, when one of the writers says, listen, you're supposed to listen. Okay, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. The opportunity of the now. God gives us now opportunities. And we, we don't always have the guarantee that they're going to be there later. We don't always have the guarantee that they're going to be around again or come around again. The opportunities of the now. I, I wonder, I guess I wonder, did Timothy get there? We, we don't know. We don't know. Did he get there? Or were there things that kind of kept him from getting there? Sometimes things get in our way or we let things get in the way of doing what we need to do, what God may be prompting us to do. Have, have, you, ever, have you ever been in a situation where God prompted you to do something for someone um, and and you let it get by, and you didn't do that? Or if someone comes to you and says, you know, I've got this particular problem, uh, will you pray for me? Sure, I'll pray for it. And then you go off and you forget it, and you don't pray for them, and pretty soon you see the person coming around, and you say, Jesus, be with so-and-so, because they'll get forgotten. <laughs> you you, you got to cover your base, you know, a little bit that way. Uh, and, and, and sometimes things get away from us. Sometimes they do. I read an interesting story of three apprentice demons. The story is told about Satan calling his emissaries of hell together because he wanted to send them to earth and aid men and women in the ruination of their souls. He asked, who would go first and what would be the strategy? So one said, I'll go. And Satan says, well, what will you tell them? And he said, I'll tell them there's no heaven. And Satan said, they won't believe you because there's a bit of heaven in every human heart. In the end, everyone knows that good will triumph over you. You, you can't go. And another comes forward and seemingly more darker and foul than the first one. And Satan says, if I send you, what will you tell them? I'll tell them that there's no hell. Satan looked at him and said, no, they won't believe you because in every human heart there's a thing called conscience and an inner voice which testifies to the truth that not only will good triumph, but evil will be defeated. You can't go. 
the last creature came forward, was more diabolical than all of them, the story is told. Satan said to him, if I send you, what will you tell men and women that will lead them to the destruction of their souls? And he said, I will tell them there's no hurry. There's no hurry. Satan said, go. You're the one. God prompts us from time to time to the opportunities of the now because winter's coming. I wonder, I wonder, in light of winter coming, would you go? Will you be responsive to the promptings of God? Or will you live a life of ifs and buts? Ifs and buts. There's a plaque that I have. I had it in my office, in previous offices when I move in. And, and it was uh, written by a, a man by the name of Stephen Grullet. Or the plaque I had uh, was listed as uh, a French background. So his name was Etienne de Grullet, if you like the French. Okay. So whether Stephen Grullet or Etienne Grullet, the, the plaque says this. I shall pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that I can do or any kindness that I can show to any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. It's a reminder of the things that we might presume upon for tomorrow but are passing and we only get an opportunity to do it. Little card that I got when I was early on a Christ follower, and it was a picture of Jesus on one side, and then this side is writing, saying on the on the other side, "Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last." Simple as it was, still truth. There's a slide I want you to look at with me for a minute, um, and it's it's a picture, and perhaps this picture is familiar to you. It's a picture by Holman Hunt. Um, this would be back in the 1800s, and it's the picture of what they sometimes refer to as Christ at the door, Christ at the door. Um, Nicky Gumbel in current days is was the writer developer of what's now called the Alpha Course. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a very good a very good tool that can be used to help introduce people to the truth of Scripture, to what the teaching of Scripture, basic tenets of Scripture. And in his book, Questions of Life, he, he talks about that particular picture and interprets both the verse and the painting in this way. He writes this. Jesus, the light of the world, stands at the door, which is overgrown with ivy and weeds. The door clearly represents the door of someone's life. This person has never invited Jesus to come into his or her life. Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. He is awaiting a response. He wants to come in and be part of that person's life. The door in the painting doesn't appear to have a handle 
on the outside. Hunt explained in his work that that was deliberate. The handle is on the inside and can only be opened from that end, representing the obstinately shut mind. Nicky Gumbo says, in other words, we have to open the door to let Jesus into our lives. Jesus will never force his way in. He gives us the freedom to choose. It's up to us whether or not we open the door to him. If we do, he promises, I will come in and eat with them and they will eat with me. And eating together was a sign of friendship, which Jesus offers to all those who open the door of their lives. It's always, always for us that picture in mind because uh, God gives us truth and we get to respond to it. We dare not push it off because we may not pass this way again. We have to do what we have to do, we have to do now. There's an old hymn, the words of which go like this. The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. What is your answer to him? Time after time, he has waited before, and now he is waiting again to see if you're willing to open your heart. Oh, how he wants to come in. The picture is a good reminder to us. Paul closes this book with the stark reality that life has seasons and what we must do must be done now. What truth is Christ bringing to your heart today that is a step of obedience to him for you? I invite you to take that first step. I invite you to keep going. I invite you, last week we talked about finishing well. I invite you to do that. And come before winter. What you do, you do now. I want you to pause with me for prayer. Father, we can live a life that's full of shoulda, coulda, wouldas. I should have done this. I would have done that. I could have done this. And we can live a life of ifs and buts. But you call us to respond now. And so we simply want to quiet our hearts for a moment before you and allow you to bring to our mind and to our heart the truth that you bring to us today from your word. We've encountered a truth that you allow people in our life to shape us. And perhaps we've become bitter towards some of the shaping that people have done into our world. We ask you to help us to purpose in our heart not to resent that work, 
or resent that person, not to be unforgiving toward even the harm that may have been done. But we choose to forgive. We choose to release to you that person. Sometimes we've been shaped positively by encouraging words. Help us in the opportunities of the now to be people of encouragement, like Barnabas, the patron saint of encouragers, whose name literally meant son of encouragement. There may be people we'll encounter even today yet, maybe even this morning before we leave this building, who may need a word of encouragement. Help us to shape them well. We thank you, Father, that you are always with us. Forgive us for those times when we've forgotten that. And I ask you, Father, to more than anything else, bring the truth of your claim upon our heart home to us now. For we all have a door, the door of our heart. And perhaps right now you're knocking on that door, saying, will you let me in? Will you let me guide you? Will you let me bring you life? Will you let me lead you in a path I have for you to go on? We ask, Father, that you would simply take the truth of your word and bring it home to us. We know your purpose and plan is ultimately to, the, to bring us home to the kingdom of your dear son. And we know that that's the promise of eternal life and a future with you. But we need to embrace that truth now so that we can give our life to the Christ. So wherever you find each one in this place, allowed to come here not by happenstance, by, by divine design, Press your truth on our hearts, and we will be quick to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Minister to each one, right as you prompted their heart today. Now, Father, we've come to the end of the book of Second Timothy, the last book that Paul had opportunity to give to the church. Thank you for the truths we've encountered along the way in this last word. And we pray, Father, that you'll help us to meditate upon that. It may be do us great good to just go back to chapter one and read it through and see what you'd remind us of. It may do us good to memorize some of those mountaintop scriptures from each of those chapters, having pieces of it, so that we might meditate on that word and let it drill down into our world. So take the truth of your word. Thank you for the time to journey through this book. Seal to our hearts the things that we have heard, recalled, and need to recall as we meditate further. Thank you for what you'll do.
thank you for your presence here today. Sense that's so very real in our worship, in our time of prayer for our nation, and in the truth of your word proclaimed here today. Now, your people have come and they've been patient and they've been attentive to your word, and now they'll leave from this place and enter a world that needs to see salt and light, the light of Christ, the light that can light their world. I pray that I pray that you would bless each one as they go forth from this place. May, may we just be of encouragement to those about us as we help shape the lives of people. You bring across our pathway. Well, thank you for what you'll do. We'll give you all praise. Because uh, we say all these things to the one who is immortal, who is invisible, who is always and the only wise God. Unto him be glory, be the glory of Christ in his church. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.